our greatest learning opportunities come to the example of others who have expertise in a particular practice or skill. This message is the third in the series, The Way to Pray. The message is entitled, Follow the Leader. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. We're involved in a summer series of messages called The Way to Pray, and we're going to continue that series, part three in the series this morning. Just a quick announcement. If you know folks that are Portuguese-speaking, we have a great announcement beginning today at our one o'clock service, and into the future, we'll continue to have our Spanish translation, but also we're adding... Uh, Portuguese interpretation as well. Our goal over the years is to continue to add different translations along the way. So every Sunday at one o'clock, if you know folks that speak Portuguese primarily, uh, we've got an outreach to them, translation, reaching the nations and reaching those that speak the Portuguese language. Isn't that exciting that our church can reach not just uh, us English speakers, but people that speak other language and minister God's Word to them? Prayer. Prayer is something that everybody does from time to time. There's probably not a day that goes by that you don't pray some kind of prayer. It may be a very simple prayer. It might simply be, help, God help me. But most every day, everybody prays some kind of prayer. We acknowledge at some point in our day some dimension of God and the need for God in our lives. Here's the trouble that we have with prayer. We don't understand it. For most people, prayer is kind of, oh, I'll throw up something and I just sort of hope God hears and I hope God answers, sort of a wish upon a star. I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that something transpires. And so prayer becomes a little more to many people than simply a superstitious sort of act. Not sure if anything's going to to matter, any difference is going to transpire, but I'll throw this prayer up to God. And according to the Bible, that was never meant to be what prayer is all about. In fact, Prayer is defined in the Bible as something that God wants us to be very confident about, to know how to pray in ways that actually we have an assurance and a confidence that God is hearing us and that God is answering us. Prayer ought to be a foundational dimension of your life where you know that God is responding to you when you pray. Now, for that to happen, you have to learn something about the way to pray because you can't have confidence in prayer if you don't understand something about prayer. What what does the Bible say about it? What does Jesus say about it? How do we learn to pray the right way? And that's what this series is all about. How do we know the right way to pray so that when you offer prayer to God, there is that confidence that goes along with it. Now, one of the best ways to learn something is to have a leader. Leaders are valuable in our lives. Leaders not only inspire us, leaders are good for inspiration. Leaders also give us instruction, correction along the way. And leaders are also good for giving us examples. And when it comes to prayer, we need a prayer leader. We need to be able to look to a leader that can show us something about inspiring us to pray, yes, but also instructing us, maybe even correcting us in the way that we think about prayer, and certainly by example, showing us the way to pray. And the best leader that you'll ever have when it comes to prayer is not a human being. Your best leader is Jesus. Jesus is an incredible leader when it comes to prayer. He has shown us through His Word, by instruction, by inspiration, and certainly by example, how we are to pray. And so today what I want to do for these next few moments we have together is to share with you how Jesus can be your prayer leader. We've, we've titled today's message, Follow the Leader. 
pay attention to your prayer leader because if you're going to learn how to pray, you've got to have a leader that will show you how. I'm going to share with you five things that we learn from the life and the ministry of Jesus about prayer that will help you and I learn how to pray more effectively. First of all, we need to understand from the study of Jesus' life that Jesus, by example, set for us, he prayed at key moments in his life. How do you know how to pray and when to pray? Well, we learn from Jesus that Jesus prayed in the key moments of his life. For the first 30 years of Jesus' life, we know very little. We know he was born in Bethlehem. We see the shepherds coming around the manger, worshiping and honoring the the Christ child. We see the wise men coming and giving gifts to him. But after that, we know very little about Jesus until he's 12 years of age. At 12 years of age, we see him in the temple where he's inquiring of the Pharisees and leaders of the temple, the priests there in the temple about the ways of God. And he's now become separated from Mary and Joseph who are on the way back to northern Galilee. And Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. When they finally find him, he says, I need to be about my father's business. So we had that little snippet of information about Jesus when he was 12. But we don't know anything else between his birth and his 12th 12th birthday or 12 years of age. uh, Anything about Jesus' life until he's 30, 30 years of age. 30 is when he started his earthly ministry. Now think about that for a moment. That in and of itself, just as, as I digress just for a moment, Jesus spent 30 years preparing for three years of ministry. He's only going to minister for about three years. About three, three and a half years, Jesus will minister, but he spends 30 years preparing for three years. How many know that God's ways are very different from our ways? We spend three years preparing for 30. God says, I'm going to prepare my son with 30 years of preparation for only three years of ministry. But wow, those three three years were incredible, weren't they? See, it pays to do your preparation. It pays to put the work in, to let God do the work in your life. So for 30 years, he's in obscurity. We know very little about him. But he comes on the scene at 30 years of age, and he shows up at the Jordan River where a man named John was baptizing people. And John was the forerunner of Jesus the Messiah. He's getting people ready for the Messiah to come. And he's preaching a message. His message is repent, turn from your sins, and turn to God because Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, the promised Messiah is coming. And so John was baptizing. He was called and known as John the Baptist. He's not known as John the Baptist because he was the first Baptist, okay? He's known as John the Baptist because he was the baptizer. Many people think, well, John, he must have been the first Baptist. No, John was not a Baptist, okay? John was a baptizer. And he baptized people and prepared the way for the coming of Christ. And so Jesus showed up one day at the Jordan River where Jesus was baptizing. And he says to John, John, I want you to baptize me. And again, John, Jesus was 30 years of age at this time. Now, John protested. He didn't really want to baptize Jesus because he felt like Jesus really should have been baptizing him because John was the lesser, Jesus was the greater. But nevertheless, Jesus prevailed upon John to do this because it was the right thing to do. The Scripture says it fulfilled all righteousness, and so John does this. And I want you to notice, would you agree with me? Let's get on the same page for a moment. Would you agree with me that the beginning and the baptism of Jesus, the beginning of his earthly ministry, was it a key point in Jesus' life? Come on, everybody, was it? Absolutely. We haven't heard from him for 30 years. He's about to begin his ministry. So we we ought to pay attention to what he does as he launches into ministry. And we find this in Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, verses 21 and 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was, what's the word there? 
Circle it on your notes. As he was praying. So what is Jesus doing at his time of baptism? He was praying. As he was praying, notice what happened. Heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I love all the consequences of prayer, all the results of prayer. As he was praying, heaven was open. As he was praying, the Holy Spirit descended. As he was praying, God spoke from heaven. God will do those things in your life. God opens up the heavens when you pray. God sends the power of, your, of His Holy Spirit when you pray. And God prepares you to hear His voice when you pray. And all of this happened to Jesus as a result of prayer. Now let's move forward in the ministry of Jesus. That was a key point. He starts His ministry. But after starting His ministry, He realizes, I need some people to help me. I can't do this by myself. I need to, I'm going to be going away after three years. I need some, a team that I can, can train and impart to. I need some apostles that I can send. That's what apostles means, a sent one. And so he, he has to determine who his 12 apostles are going to be. Would you agree that this is another very important time? When you choose your team, is that an important time? Key moment. What did Jesus do at the key moment when he's choosing his team? Notice Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, circle it, and he spent the night doing what? Praying. So he's spending all night long crying out to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and what did he do? He chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. So how did Jesus choose his apostles? In an atmosphere and out of an atmosphere of prayer. So he's baptized, beginning his ministry. What does he do? He prays. He's choosing his apostles. What does he do? He prays. Let's go to the end of Jesus' life at his crucifixion before he gives, while he's giving his life on the cross of Calvary. He's hanging on the cross. And I want you to notice what Jesus does. Would you agree that the crucifixion of Jesus was a key moment in his life? It's, that's the moment when he's paying the price for our sins. He's, he's paying it all so that we could be redeemed. So what was Jesus doing on the cross? Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus, now he's on the cross, said, Father, so who is he talking to? God, what is he doing? He is praying. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. So on the cross, Jesus was concerned about keeping his heart free from bitterness. He did not want anything to impede his redemptive work there on the cross of Calvary, so he prays. Luke 23, verses 44 through 46. It was now about noon, so again, this is the crucifixion, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, what did Jesus do in this important moment. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father. So what is he doing? He is, he's talking to God. He's praying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. All through the ministry of Jesus, you see that Jesus had this communion, this, this prayer life with the Father God. Let me read you a few passages. John 5, verse 19, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So Jesus could only see what the Father was doing and do it because he spent time in prayer. John 5, verse 30, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear 
and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. So he says, I can't do anything by myself. I need the power of the Father, and he obtained that power through prayer. John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. He said, I don't say anything unless I've heard the Father say it. Jesus was the most submitted person you'll ever meet, you, you, you will ever know. Submitted to the Father. He said, I only do what the Father commands me to do and says for me to say. I know that His commands lead to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. How did He have this kind of understanding of the Father's heart? He did it through communication, through prayer. He spent time with God communicating, communicating in prayer with Him. So at every key moment in Jesus' life, what do you find Him doing? When he starts his ministry, what is he doing? When, he, when, he's, when he's choosing his apostles, what is he doing? When he's on the cross of Calvary, what is he doing? All throughout his ministry, what is he doing? He's praying. So I would submit to you today that if Jesus prayed at every key moment in his life, what should you be doing at every key moment in your life? You learn from your leader. Second of all, Jesus prayed daily and Jesus prayed often. We're following our leader, Jesus, our prayer leader. Not only did Jesus pray when there was some important decision to be made or some key moment, but actually prayer, as I've already alluded to in the Bible, is spoken of was a regular part of Jesus' life. The Bible teaches us that Jesus prayed daily, daily. Everybody say daily with me. Daily means every day. Mark 1, I'm only going to read verse 35 for you here. Very early in the morning, now please note that, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he had his coffee. So what it says? Your Bible doesn't say that? No. Listen again. Very early in the morning while it was still dark. Now would you agree that's really early, correct? Okay. Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary, a a, a private place where he did what? He prayed. So how did Jesus start his day? He started his day in prayer. If Jesus started his day in prayer, how should we start our day? He's our leader, right? He's teaching us the way to pray. And part of the way you learn is by looking at your leader, looking at his example. And if he did it every morning, that would be some indication that we ought to do that in our own lives. I love what the psalmist said. This is not in your notes, but I would encourage you to write down this reference as well. Psalm 5, verse 3, the psalmist said, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. Can I encourage you? That when you start your day, don't start your day without some prayer. That when your feet hit the floor, one of the first things you ought to do is say, God, I need you, I want you, I love you, I praise you, I submit my day to you. And in your morning time is a precious, important time to pave the pathway for your day through prayer. But Jesus not only prayed daily, but I'm going to give you another word. He also prayed, what was the other word I gave you? Often, okay? Now, there's a difference between daily and often. You can pray daily but not be praying often during your day. Jesus didn't just pray like in the morning, okay, God, I thank you. I'm going to forget about you the rest of the day, but I started my day. I prayed in the morning. No, Jesus prayed throughout his day. He prayed often. Notice Luke 5, verse 16. But Jesus, notice this, often, what would he do? He often 
Come on, help me out here. He often withdrew to lonely places. And what did he do? He prayed. So as he's going through his day, there would be those moments that he would say, guys, excuse me for a little bit. I've got to get away and talk to the Father. I've got to make sure I'm tuned in. I've got to have some communication with Him because I've got to make sure I'm saying what He says and thinking what He thinks and doing what He wants me to do and I'm not operating on my own. And so it was not just a daily thing, but it was also an often thing. See, folks, I would submit to all of us again today as we're learning from our leader, our prayer leader, that prayer should not just be a daily thing for you and for me, but it should be something you do throughout your day. There ought to be those moments you stop and say, God, I'm just going to pull aside from my work for a moment and talk to you again. I heard of a guy not too long ago who would set up on his, uh, his, his, his smartphone just remi- actually alarms that would go off during the day at different times to remind him just to take a moment and pull away and pray. That might be something that you would think about doing. I'm going to give you a suggestion. If you don't pray during your day, here's a good suggestion for you. Something that everybody here can do. I want you to say this phrase with me, one at one. Say it with me, one at one. Say it again, one at one. One o'clock in the afternoon is about the middle of your day, right? Approximately, depending upon what time you get up, what time you finish your work, and so forth. But approximately, one is, is a good sort of middle point of your day. And what I would encourage you to do, if you don't normally pray often during the day, start doing this. Stop stop at 1 o'clock every day and pray one minute. You know, you can pray one minute at 1 every day. That every day, it's like 1 o'clock, okay, I need to talk to God for at least a minute. You know, God deserves a minute in the middle of your day, right? He deserves much more than that. And you need to maintain communication, but it's a good way to start a pattern in your life. So prayer was a consistent part of Jesus' life. He prayed daily, and he also prayed what? Often. Number three, Jesus also prayed for other people. That's what we learn from our leader. We look at Jesus. How are we, how are we supposed to pray? Well, how did Jesus do it? He prayed not just at key moments. He prayed daily and often. He also prayed for other people. Now, Let's get real for a moment here. Most of us, when we pray, we spend a lot of our time praying for who? Me, right? I'm like, okay, you can pray for you. I'm going to pray for me, okay? And we spend a huge amount of our time, if not most of our time, thinking about the stuff that, we ought, that, concern, that would concern ourselves. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's part of your prayer life. It's part of Jesus invites you to pray that way. The Bible invites you to bring your needs to God and tell Him what your needs are. There's nothing wrong with you praying about your needs because sometimes that's the only way, the the deepest prayer related to your needs will come from the burden of your own soul and the needs that God will bring out of that, the training, the, the, the things that He will teach you as you're going through that prayer process over issues in your own life with Him. But it shouldn't take up all of your prayer time. There should be those moments when you shift beyond just praying for you to praying for other people. Jesus did this. In fact, every, practically every miracle in the Bible was preceded by or included a prayer by Jesus. Now, miracles were never about Jesus. Do you know that? See, we often think that miracles were all about making Jesus look good. No, you know the miracles were never about making Jesus look good. The miracles were always about meeting the needs of people. See, sometimes Jesus would do something for somebody and say, shh, don't tell anybody. 
Don't go tell everybody about Why would he do that? Because it wasn't about him. He wasn't trying to say, look at me, I'm the miracle worker. No, every miracle that Jesus did came out of compassion for the need of somebody else. It was all about caring for people. And so he engages in this prayer for the needs of others that would lead to miracles. See, remember this, every miracle starts with a problem. If you want a miracle in your life, you have to have a problem first, right? A lot of people, oh, I want a miracle from God. You know what you're asking for? Problems, okay? Because to have a miracle, you've got to have a problem. And so Jesus would find these problems and he would intervene in prayer. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 14. Let me tell you the story here. There were 5,000 plus people who didn't have any food. They were hungry. I call that a problem, right? Jesus had been teaching them all day long and they're hungry. He's got to send them home and he's worried about whether they're going to make it on the journey back home and everybody's hungry and eating some food. There were 5,000 men plus the women and the children. Now he sent out his disciples among the crowd to find out what was available to feed the folks and these disciples came back and notice what they said. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Now that's not enough to feed 5,000 plus people. Five pieces of bread and two fish. Not enough. But notice what Jesus said. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down, taking the five loaves and the two fish. And then what did he do? Looking up to, what's he doing? What's he doing? He's praying. He takes those five loaves and two fish. And before he performs the miracle, what does he do? He prays. And he blessed them. Let me just digress for a moment here. I'll come back to this theme in just a bit. But I think there's another point that is worth our application and, and, and consideration today. You know, one of the greatest things you and I ought to do every time we sit down in a meal is to thank God for it. That before you partake of a meal, that you ought to bow your head for a moment and say, Lord, I thank you for this food that you provided for me. See, one of the things I see even in the Christian world today is that we're losing that capacity to thank God for the blessings He brings into our life. And I will tell you something else. Even when you go to a restaurant, you're in public, one of the greatest testimonies you can have is to bow your head in public and say, God, I thank you for the food that you brought to me. Around your table when you're sharing a meal with your family, to bow your head together as a family and to thank God, to teach your children how to thank God for their food and to offer blessings to God for every, every, every meal that they see. Let me tell you something. Don't take a meal for granted, okay? Because every meal is a blessing from God. There are people all around the world that, that are dying for one meal. And when you and I sit down to food, we ought to get, be grateful to God and remember those that have need in their life and to bring our point to a place of prayer as, as it relates to that. And the Bible says that Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and before he did anything else, he, he lifted it up to heaven and he blessed it, gave thanks. And then he broke the loaves, of course, gave it to the people and a miracle happened. Over 5,000 people were fed. Let me take you to another story, Mark chapter 7. Let's look at the problem, let's look at the prayer, and let's look at the miracle. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on them. So here's a man, couldn't speak, couldn't hear. He's got a big problem in his life. After he took, that's Jesus, took this man aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ear, 
ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. And then what did he do? He looked up to, what does it say there he did? He looked, is it on the screen? Then you got to help me out. What did he do? He looked up to heaven. Okay, I need your help. Been working hard this week. I need your help. All right. So what is he doing now? He's got this guy here that can't speak. He can't hear. He's calling upon God for the power that will result in the miracle. And if you read the rest of the story, you'll find out that this man had a miracle. His tongue was loosed. His ears were open. And a miracle transpired. Not only did Jesus pray for people in need, Jesus prayed for his disciples. He prayed for those that were followers of his. Do you remember Simon when Simon... Uh, is toward the time that Jesus is going to be crucified, Simon Peter, and, and, and Jesus predicted that Simon Peter was going to deny him. Remember that passage in the Bible? Okay. But I want you to notice what Jesus told Simon Peter after he told him, you're going to deny me, Peter. Please notice what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus said, Peter, I know you're going to mess up. I know you're going you're to blow it, but even before you blow it, I've already prayed for you that you'll get back on the right track. And did Peter find restoration? He certainly did. But not only did Jesus pray for his disciples during his day, listen closely to me. Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, prayed for you. He continues to pray for you, for the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession. His ministry of Jesus right now is the ministry of interceding, praying for us. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, praying for us right now. But over 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you. You are on Jesus' prayer list. I, don't, I can't think of anything that blesses me any more than someone telling me, Pastor, you're on my prayer list. Every time somebody tells me that, it makes me feel loved and valued to think that someone would spend time during their day praying for me. And I'm sure that you feel likewise when someone says, I've been praying for you, or you're on my prayer list, to know that someone has put your name on a list where they're actually calling your name before God. It's a precious thing. And the Bible says that Jesus has you on his prayer list. I want to take you back to the night before Jesus was crucified. He's praying a prayer, and he's there with his disciples. And notice in John 17, verses 20 and 21, this prayer that Jesus prayed. My prayer is not for them alone. It's not just for these 12 guys or 11 guys at this point in time because Judas had already betrayed him. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also, notice this, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That is me. Because I came to know Jesus through the message of the apostles. I came to know Jesus because one day I heard John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And the Bible says of Jesus, He said, I pray also for those who will believe in Me through their message. That is Me and you who believe in Him. So Jesus has prayed for you that they all may be one. See, the Father loves unity. Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus gives us this example of prayer. He prays at key moments in his life. He prays daily and he prays often. 
He prays, obviously, for others, as we see here. The fourth thing is that Jesus prayed in times of stress and temptation. I'm sure none of you ever have those moments, do you? I want to tell you something about Jesus. Jesus had way more stress than you'll ever have. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus faced way more stress. You think, I'm stressed out, okay? Hey, have you ever been crucified? Have you ever taken on the sin of all the world on yourself, okay? Have you ever been hung out and have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I call that major stress, don't you? So don't you ever complain about your stress compared to God's stress. See, I want you to know God understands. Jesus understands stress. He's experienced way more stress than you will ever experience. And he's experienced more temptation than you will ever experience. See, all of us are tempted in certain ways. But we're not tempted by everything. But the Bible says of Jesus, he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. How did Jesus handle such incredible stress How did Jesus handle such intense temptation? He handled it through prayer. Let me take you to the Garden of Gethsemane. Again, he's looking forward, looking ahead to his crucifixion. He's there in the garden with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And it's the night he's going to be arrested. Next day he's going to be crucified. Notice what happens. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, what did he tell them to do? Pray. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and what did he do? Pray. So he says, guys, this is going to be the toughest night of your life. You better pray so that you will not enter into temptation. And by the way, I'm going to go do some of this myself. He he, he moved a stone's distance, a stone's throw away from them. And the Bible says that he knelt down and prayed. What was his prayer? Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, everybody say anguish. That's equal to stress, okay? Being in stress, major stress and anguish. What did he do? He prayed. What did he do? More. More stress, more prayer. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's never happened to any of us, has it? This is major stress. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So when Jesus faced key moments in his life, what did he do? He prayed. When Jesus, had to, when, when, when Jesus uh, went, started his day and throughout his day, what did he do? He prayed. As Jesus was praying, you know, he prayed for himself. He prayed for others. When Jesus faced times of stress and temptation, what did Jesus do? Jesus prayed. Let's go to our final point together. The last thing we learned from Jesus as our prayer leaders is that Jesus gave us a clear set of directions to follow when we pray. Disciples were with Jesus every day and they couldn't help but notice the prayer life of Jesus. And this prayer life in Jesus intrigued them and inspired them. They had never seen anyone pray like Jesus prayed and get the answers like Jesus received answers from God. And they were, they were inspired by his prayer life and they were also intrigued by it. 
How, how does this work? And this intrigue, this, this inspiration prompted one of these disciples one day, we don't know the name of the disciple, but it prompted one of these disciples to actually come to Jesus one day and to inquire about prayer. He was so, again, intrigued by it. So he makes this, this, this request. He had this appetite to learn about prayer. Notice Luke 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. This, 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 this disciple of Jesus said, you know, John taught his disciples something about prayer. Jesus, we've watched you pray. Would you teach us how to do what you do? Would you help us to understand how to, how to pray like you pray, Jesus? I, I love this disciple because although he's unnamed, he's a hungry man. He's a teachable man. He's seeking direction, understanding for his life. God blesses teachable people. One of the greatest characteristics you'll ever develop in your life is a characteristic of being teachable. By the way, you've got to be humble to be teachable. And this man was humble and teachable. He wanted to learn something about prayer, and he gets the answer. Notice what happens here in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse, uh, chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. In just a moment, I'm going to ask all of us to read it together, to read it aloud and loudly, because we're about to read what most of us are familiar with. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But I want to tell you this morning that it's not so much the Lord's Prayer. It's not so much a prayer that the Lord prayed. It's the believer's prayer. It's a prayer that we ought to pray in our lives. I want I want you to read it aloud. I want you to pray it with me this morning, and don't let your voice be sort of subdued. Let your voice rise as we pray this together. Here, read with me. This then, oh, come on. We got to do better than that, all right? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Does anyone know how it concludes? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now listen closely to me. All around the world today, there'll be churches that will gather, people that will come through church doors, and they will recite this verse or this passage, but they will have no clue as to what it means. They're just going through a ritual of their religion. They're going through the, our Father today, and I'm not picking on anybody or any, any denomination. It has nothing to do with it. I want you to get the essence of what Jesus is saying. Please notice his words. He says, this then is how you should pray. Jesus didn't say this then is what you should pray. He said this then is how you should pray. Not what, but how. Now, I'm not saying that we should not pray the what of this. But do you think that Jesus was just saying, okay, memorize this prayer, our Father which art in heaven, Lord be in heaven, can you come and You can say that in 10 seconds. No, that's not what Jesus was saying at all, but that's how we thought of this. Some prayer that we're supposed to recite and sort of like a superstitious thing that we do. Oh, has anybody said the Our Father yet? Oh, let's say it quick. No, it's not that at all. Jesus said this then is, what's the word? How you should pray. 
And so in this thing, this passage that we call the Lord's Prayer, are critical keys to understanding what your prayer life ought to be like. If we'll investigate this prayer, we'll learn something about, okay, that's the way we're supposed to pray. That's how we're supposed to do it. And over the rest of the summer, what we're going to spend our time doing is to learn how to pray the way Jesus said to pray. That's why this, ser- this series is so important. It's not just praying the what, but it's learning the how. And that's why I want to encourage you to stay with us as we go through this together. Very, very important. Let Jesus be your prayer leader. Jesus inspires us to pray, yes, by his example. He instructs us to pray by his example. But it never works unless we start doing it. When did Jesus pray? He prayed at the key moments of his life. When did Jesus pray? He prayed daily and he prayed often. When did, how did Jesus pray? He prayed for other people. When did Jesus pray? He prayed in times of stress and temptation. And what did Jesus do for us before he left? He gave us a clear set of directions to follow when we pray. He has been our prayer leader. Let's get in behind him and follow him to a new and greater prayer life. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray today? Father, thank you. Thank you today. We come and we offer our thanksgiving and our adoration, our praise to you because you are worthy. There is none like you. You're almighty God. And with reverent and humble hearts, we bow ourselves before you this morning to lift you higher, to honor you and magnify you. And to pray the prayer that that unnamed disciple prayed so many years ago, Lord, teach us to pray. And I pray for each one of us here that we would become hungry to learn how to pray. Let the message that we've heard today begin to stoke the flames, to stoke the fires of our heart with an appetite to commune with you, to communicate with you so that we can experience more of what you have for our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. And if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and he saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. 
If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.